Hey, hi, hello. Welcome back to Unqualified Analysis, the show that's still going on. I mean, things are things are just happening now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, somehow even less prepared than usual for this episode. I uh, have like two headlines written down, and outside of that, I'm just going straight off the dome. But I mean, we're doing... We're doing one more division preview, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, and that is the NFC North. Did I put it at the end because maybe I'm a Vikings fan that has a little bit of bias towards the NFC North? Probably, maybe, definitely, that's what happened. But, you know what? The last division preview means we are right on the doorstep of football season. We've got week zero for college football coming up this weekend. Yes, actual live football games going on in the college ranks, which means we are getting right back into college football. Not today, but another day. Not this week. Probably next week because week zero is just, I think the most noteworthy game is USC playing like San Jose State or something. And people are getting all up in arms because it's like New Mexico State and some other team I don't care about playing on the primetime ESPN slot. But people... Your only other alternative is watching USC win by 60 against some hapless, basically FCS team. Let's all calm down. It's week zero. It just means that we're getting closer and closer to actual live football. Week one of college football is next weekend. And think about it, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. We have got LSU, FSU, a whole slate of games that actually matter. It is so, so close. I've been playing Madden almost nonstop over the last couple days, just hyping myself up for this football season. We are right on the doorstep of the greatest time of year. And before we get to that, though, got to do one more division preview. So today we got the NFC North. Uh, first and foremost, though, let's go through a, a couple of camp headlines. I'm just going to go basically straight off the dome because I don't I don't got a whole lot to actually uh, go off of here on this here phone because I just don't prepare. You know, I got I got a job and uh, I had family in town this weekend. So that's just what happens. Either way, uh, let's just get into the headlines first and foremost here, shall we? So, starting off, one of the two headlines I actually have written down, the Ravens signed a couple players this week. First off, they got Ronald Darby to uh, bolster that cornerback depth. Talked about it a little bit when I was talking about the AFC North last week with the Ravens. Depth at cornerback, not the greatest in the world. You still got Marlon Humphrey out there, so you got a legit number one, but you kind of got to build around that. You got a couple good safeties back there with Marcus Williams and the uh, kid from Notre Dame that they drafted last year whose name, Kyle Hamilton, that's that's the one. If I just keep describing them, eventually I'll come up with the names, but I digress there. Cornerback depth has been a real issue for them. They pick up Ronald Darby. He was a starter for the Broncos, I believe, last year. Uh, should step in and contribute right away. Also, bolstering that pass rush up front, they signed Jadavian Clowney, and he's running some sweet routes out of the backfield wearing like number 24, uh, catching slants, catching him with his body, would have been broken up by a linebacker. Tough start to his time in the running back room, but good thing he's going to be rushing the passer primarily, not running routes out of the backfield. The Ravens just like to fuck around in the preseason. I don't mean like actually fuck around as in like not get any work done. I mean, they're they're working Patrick Ricard, uh, their 300-pound fullback at offensive linemen. They're working Jadavian Clowney with, with the running backs. They just don't care. They, they they simply don't care sometimes. They're just here to have a good time and uh, keep that preseason win streak going, which, by the way, just got snapped as of last night, I believe. Uh, the Washington Commies took the Red Wave 
to Baltimore and uh, buried him in the final seconds. I think it's a 29-28 one on a game-winning field goal. Preseason football, folks, I don't care. I, I simply don't care about the outcome. But 24-game preseason win streak snapped by those commie bastards over there. I got to give them props, though. Sam Howell has been looking real good in the preseason. It is preseason, so it simply does not matter. But much better than the alternative. I mean, going like 50%. Uh, in completion percentage, looking just absolutely hapless out there. You, you want to see that from your, your starting quarterback to start week one, so that's going to be interesting. I cannot wait to see what he does with those weapons, with the new offensive scheme with Eric Bieniemy over there. I am looking forward to watching that commies offense. Uh, in that game, though, as I've just completely gotten away from Jadavian Klein, we'll get back to him in just a second. My mind's just flip, 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 flitting around like you, we would not even believe right now, but... Uh, while I'm thinking of it, because I'm going to forget it probably, Terry McLaurin, uh, famously on my fantasy team. Do you care? No, I do, though. On my fantasy team, he's got turf toe, which if you know anything about turf toe, that shit ain't going away basically all season. So that's, you know, he'll be ready for week one. How good is he going to be? We'll see. That's the number one receiver, though, for the Washington Commanders. Going to need Jahan Dotson, uh, Curtis Samuel to step up a bit. Also, Logan Tom. They got a lot of receivers over there. They got a good good backfield. So, hopefully, they can work around it a little bit. They're going to need some guys to step up, though, if they don't want a little bit of a, uh, a drop-off there. I think Terry's going to be all right. Should should still be your clear number one receiver. But with that turf, though, it's just no telling how, uh, how hard he can cut off that thing, uh, how effective he's going to be this season. I mean... We all know Terry McLaurin just wants it more than anyone else who's in front of him at any given time. One of the best jump ball receivers, 50-50 guys in the entire league. So still probably going to have that in his game. But as far as the separation is concerned, we'll have to watch how that is affected by this turf tool. I'm sure he's going to get numbed up real good on game day pretty much every week uh, this year. But back to Jadavian Clowney. I feel like it's a guy that kind of needed in the front seven. They didn't really, they don't really have any like standout individual pass rushers as of right now. They really haven't in the last couple of seasons. At the very least, though, they had Justin Houston there in, in the last two-ish years. I don't remember how long Houston was in Baltimore, but he's been fairly consistent as far as production goes for the last couple years there in Baltimore. So you needed someone to kind of come in and replace that. Jadavian Clowney, while he never really got the high sack numbers you might expect from an elite pass rusher, you go back to like when he was playing his best football he may not have necessarily finished off the play, but he had some of the best like QB pressure numbers in the entire league when he was playing at the top of his abilities. So having a guy like that around, you know, an absolute physical freak to come off the edge could not hurt one bit. And it's a it's a defense that uh, pass rush. They're, they're going to scheme some pass rush in there. The Ravens always seem to. But having individuals like that kind of makes it a little bit more of a, a calculation for the offense and how you're going to protect the opposing QB. This can only help, really. I mean, he's a very good run defender, uh, very good pass rusher, just maybe not not the flashiest of pass rushers in the world. Never a bad idea to sign Jadavian Clowney, and this is kind of the time of camp when you're seeing a lot of these uh, veteran free agents that should be on rosters start to find their way onto some rosters just based on need. I'm, I'm looking at Kareem Hunt right now. Um, I'm looking at, like, I mean, hell, I just put myself in the corner there trying to trying to figure out what other free agents are out there. But the, the big-time free agents that are still going probably going to find their way to a roster here uh, sometime soon. But with that... Uh, let's let's just keep it moving, shall we? Uh, Hassan Reddick, uh, 
big time uh, star Eagles pass rusher. I think he had like 16 sacks last year. He's getting thumb surgery. Should still be ready for Week One, but it's it's worth noting that he's getting a surgery right before uh, the season starts. Might be something that lingers all year. It is a thumb, so it's more of just a, a toughness thing, not a lower body that'll affect his his speed and athleticism from that perspective. But you know, something to keep an eye on. Uh, definitely not an insignificant injury there for Hassan Reddick, especially when he gets surgery. Never an in- insignificant surgery when you really get down to it, even if the timeline for coming back is a shorter one uh, when it's all said and done. Um, outside of that, those were the only two headlines I had written down, but. Right off the top of my head, this came out right down the pipe last night. Jonathan Taylor has been given permission from the Indianapolis Colts to seek a trade partner. Uh, Melky Kawa, I think, is the the agent's name. Getting what he wants now. It, it seems like, from what the insiders are saying, like, you know, the Shefties and the Rappaports of the world, that the Colts are looking for either a first-round pick, which you're not getting that for running back in 2023, so good luck on that, or an equivalent of picks that equal up to a first-round pick. Um, If they're truly serious about trading Jonathan Taylor, think they're probably going to have to come down from that a little bit. I don't see... Maybe you get a second-round pick for for Jonathan Taylor at this point. A second-round pick plus maybe a little bit of late late draft compensation uh, to kind of make you whole on that front. No way they're getting a first-round pick for a running back. Though I mean, he's a great running back. He's a very, very good player. But just in in today's NFL, with how, I don't want to say easy, but I'd say the highest hit rate of basically any position in the draft is running back. Um, the replaceability of the running back position for uh, for cheap labor, if you will, is kind of prohibitive as for, like, you know, going out and getting a guy in the trade market for, for big-time compensation. I mean, hell. The Eagles just traded for uh, DeAndre Swift for basically a bag of balls. I mean, as a fourth rounder in 2025 and uh, a late rounder this year, uh, I think they also I think they just basically pick swapped late in the in the draft this year. So I mean, uh, a solid back in in Detroit just got traded for I mean basically like nothing pennies on the dollar pretty much uh, from where they drafted him. I believe they drafted DeAndre Swift in the in the second round uh, to the Detroit Lions back in the day. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor is better than DeAndre Swift. I don't think anyone's denying that, but it still goes to show I would temper expectations for the for the compensation package uh, that you would want to get if you're the Colts, but I also don't know if the Colts are that serious about trading Jonathan Taylor. I honestly think this is one of those this is one of those situations where Jimmers say the front office uh, Chris Ballard with the with the Colts I feel like they basically just said, okay, you want out? Go ahead and see what kind of package you can get on the open market because I can assure you it's not what we're looking for and it's not something that's going to get you moved when it's all said and done. I think this is one of those things where they're like, okay, go test the market, see what you can get. If we're pleasantly surprised and you can get a first rounder or the equivalent of a first rounder in a trade package, sure, we'll, we'll send you wherever you want to go. We just don't necessarily think you're going to get that. I think that's basically what's going on here right now. Still, the the pissing match continues between Jonathan Taylor, his rep- representation, and the Colts overall. Feels like a situation that's going to... I don't know if it can get worse from the way it started. I think it's actually kind of cooled off from where it started. But 
doesn't feel like a situation that's going to be resolved before the season starts. Uh, probably not until, I mean, probably close to the trade deadline if he does get traded. And I don't think he honestly will unless the Colts kind of come down from the asking price they're going for. I, I don't know, man. This, this just feels like a situation where uh, no one's going to end up happy. Everyone's going to be uncomfortable. And ultimately... I'm interested to watch the shit show unfold as it, as it does down the road here. It, it should be a good, good time. Uh, maybe not in Indianapolis, but for the people watching at home who are not really invested either way and just, just love the drama. They just love, eat it up oh so good uh, down there in Indianapolis. Um, outside of that, I'm trying to think of what else has been going on in training camp last week. I know Baker Mayfield just got named the starting QB for... Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers this morning. Not a big surprise there. They signed him in free agency basically for that express purpose. Uh, and Kyle Trask as well. I'll put it to you this way. If they thought anything about Kyle Trask, they wouldn't have signed Baker Mayfield this offseason. So not a surprise here that he wasn't starting this year. Outside of that, hmm. i trying to think off the top of my head if there's anything else that should be going in here right now. I guess Anthony Richardson was named the starting quarterback for the Colts. I think that was over the, the course of the last week. Again, not a surprise. He's been taking starter reps basically the entire uh, preseason. So for better or for worse, he's going to be starting week one. Excited to see what the offense looks like with Anthony Richardson at, at quarterback there. Um, interested to see what the, uh, what the throwing aspect of the offense looks like. Feels like it's going to be Similar to the early Jalen Hurts, except for maybe a bit more souped up in the run game, I think they're going to run the absolute piss out of the ball uh, this season, which makes the whole Jonathan Taylor situation that much more interesting because having a guy like Jonathan Taylor in there rushing with Anthony Richardson would be pretty nice for you. It would be an absolute killer to the defenses that you're facing. Who knows when Jonathan Taylor is going to be back with the team, though, if at all. So that's that's different. Also, they just... I think they just had a, another running back injury there. So, I mean, they're down to, like, basically a skeleton crew in the backfield, really really testing the, uh, the, the replaceability of the position back there. Again, interested to see, but, you know, Anthony Richardson is the starter for the Colts this, this coming season. So, there's your news there. Outside of that, nah, we're like 15 minutes into this podcast, I think. Oh, yeah, Swamp King's coming out today. I'm going to have to watch that. Uh if you don't know about Swamp King, it is the it is the documentary telling this four part documentary telling the story of the uh, I think mid to late two thousands uh, Florida teams. You know, you got Tebow, like Aaron Hernandez, you know, Riley Cooper, all sorts of names over there that are just one of the one of the great sort of. I guess bad boy teams of, of the uh, of my childhood. I didn't realize just how crazy those those teams were back in the day. Uh, but interested to go see them now, knowing a, a little bit more of the backstory of just all the the abject criminality that was going through that uh, going through that organization, juxtaposed to the fact that they had the Jesus boy himself, Tim Tebow, up there at, at starting quarterback. Cannot wait to watch Swamp Kings on Netflix. By the by, cannot wait means I'll probably just put it off and then watch it at some point while I'm feeling bored in the season. Outside of that, though, I think we are pretty much done. So, without further ado, I uh, just got to make sure... Ooh, this, this one just came right across the uh, the headlines here. We have got 
Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, the first round pick of the one of the first round picks of the Seattle Seahawks. He's got a broken bone in his wrist. Uh, I guess he will have it surgically repaired in Philadelphia today, according to Adam Schefter. I don't know, is, but still a good chance to, to be ready for the start of the regular season. Still not insignificant, though, that you get a broken wrist in in preseason uh, for the rookie year. Uh, he's They're going to need him big time because he complements what, uh, what DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett do very, very well from that slot position. He's been making a lot of really good plays in the preseason. So there you go. One more headline on the way out the door. But with that said, let's just hop into the final division preview of this storied offseason as we just roll straight into football season. I'm so, so ready. But first and foremost, let's get through this. The NFC North preview. Let's go. And we are back once again. You know the drill. We're just going down the uh, the regular season standings last year in the division. And first and foremost, oh, wouldn't, wouldn't you know it, it's my boys. It's the Minnesota Vikings. Probably the team I've followed the most throughout the preseason just because I'm a fan. Out, outside of that, I mean... We all know what it was last year. Ed Donatel's defense was an absolute abject disaster. Saw him get absolutely torched by the New York Giants in the playoffs on that defensive side. Donatel's no longer there anymore. You bring in Brian Flores, a little bit more, well, not a little bit, a lot more aggressive style, a lot more blitzing, a lot more disguised coverage, uh, a lot more keeping keeping the offense on its toes uh, as far as attacking that defense. They're not sitting back and taking it like the, the Donatel scheme kind of was last year. Uh, that being said, we'll get to it in a second, but the secondary does not look a whole lot better than it did last year. It might even look a little bit, well, I don't know if it looks worse, but it does not look a whole lot better than it did last year. There's not a whole lot of great depth. Uh, the top line, we do have a, a number one corner now that we signed in, in free agency in Byron Murphy. Again, we'll get to the whole personnel thing in just a second, but overall, Still looking a little bit shaky on the uh, on the defensive side of the ball on the back end there, but good good pair of safeties in uh, in Cam Bynum and Harrison Smith, uh, better defensive coordinator in Brian Flores, which. I mean, for better or for worse, it's probably wrong. He should probably be a head coach, but given the the outstanding lawsuit against the league for racial discrimination, I don't see Brian Flores getting a head coaching job anytime soon. So we could probably keep him in town as a defensive coordinator for the for the Minnesota Vikings for a good amount of time. Which it it sucks for Brian Flores. It's an absolute asset uh, for a team like the Minnesota Vikings hiring a defensive coordinator, though. So. Good to have him there. Hopefully, we can get some good continuity going. Um, honestly, I'd love to see him be a head coach, but I know the reality of the situation is until that lawsuit is not hanging over his head anymore, probably not going to be there. I don't know if a whole lot of owners are going to be trusting a guy that is actively suing them uh, to run the whole show for better or for worse. I think he's a good head coach, but for right now, he's kind of pigeonholed into a defensive coordinator position until further notice, which is good news for the Minnesota Vikings, I suppose. Outside of that, I mean, we lost interior defensive line as well. You're going to need a lot of young guys to step up. Andrew Booth didn't play at all last season. He's going to be asked to be a major contributor as a corner in the secondary. Lewis Seen snapped his leg in half in London last year. They're going to be asking him to do a lot more than he did last year. I mean, sure, we still got a deep safety room, but 
need Lewis seen to step up and uh, play like the first round pick that he was last year. Um, outside of that, I mean, Makai Blackton, Makai Blackman, rather, uh, the first Vikings pick of this draft. Gonna need him to step up as well. Third rounder out of, I believe, USC. Could could be wrong on that, but he's gonna be asked to play a lot of high leverage reps. A lot of young guys gonna be asked to step up. I think one guy that you, I've been hearing a whole lot about out of camp and watching in the preseason has been absolutely flying around is the undrafted rookie, former Cincinnati uh, linebacker, University of Cincinnati linebacker, mind you, uh, Ivan Pace, absolutely flying around in the preseason. I think he's going to be a major contributor right away in that linebacker room. Uh, love to see it. Hopefully, uh, he steps up in a big way and helps the entire defense uh, in, in a way that he was not expected to. That would be absolutely awesome. Uh, outside of that, uh, on the offensive side, still same old story, man. We got we got Kirk. I don't want to get too far into the personnel because we got a, got a whole segment on that in this uh, in this little uh, segment. Jesus Christ, I I just absolutely brain farted there. Also, Makai Blackman, famously not the first uh, pick that the Vikings had in this draft, but we'll get to that in just a second. Mostly the same guys coming back on offense with just a few additions here and there. Obviously, the head coach is Kevin O'Connell, so same offensive scheme, same offensive system. Second year in that system went well last year and really, really turned it on down the stretch. Got some questions at running back, though, so we'll just have to see. Honestly, I don't... Maybe it's weird to say, given that the Vikings went 13-4 and last year. I think in certain spots, this team is better than it was last year. I think you, you shedded some of the older players. Um, you brought in some youth that, if, if they step up, this could be a better team than it was last year. But with all that said, let's just go straight into the moves here. So first and foremost, in the draft, first rounder. We had a first rounder. I'm stupid. Duh. We got Jordan Addison in the first round, USC wide receiver. He's going to be slotting in either playing out of the slot, the, the, the third receiver, or he's going to be taking K.J. Osborne's spot as the second receiver. Either way, he's been everything that we expected in the preseason. Just got to wait and see what it looks like on the field in the regular season. I've, I've got all the confidence in the world. The receiving core looks really, really good with the addition of Jordan Addison. I think Addison is actually, at this point, in Thielen's career, probably an upgrade from what Thielen brings to the table. Um, in the third round, we got Makai Blackman, cornerback out of USC as well. Really, really hitting that uh, that USC pipeline hard. Uh, so he'll be asked to step in right away and play some high leverage reps at cornerback like I was talking about before. Uh, fourth round, you get Jay Ward, safety out of LSU. Deep safety room, so... Might be uh, might be a guy you look at on on special teams a little bit more than the actual uh, defense contributing, but might see him out there as well. Uh, outside of that, got another LSU player in the fifth round, Jacqueline Roy, defensive tackle. Uh, drafted Jaron Hall, the quarterback at a BYU in the fifth round, so we'll have to wait and see on that. I think he's competing for the backup job right now. Might be the third stringer behind Nick Mullins, though, when it's all said and done. And you get running back Dwayne McBride in the seventh round, who has apparently not looked very good in the preseason. So a lot of hype out of him, out of the draft coming from him. Uh, probably cooled a little bit. Uh, still probably going to be Alexander Madison starting back there with who the hell knows who else is back in that backfield. It is a dire situation for the Minnesota Vikings, uh, possibly in the run game this year. That's one of the that's one of the areas we really regressed over the course of the offseason. I mean, losing Dalvin Cook. 
I, I get it from a salary cap perspective, but my goodness, that's not great. <laughs> we, we do not have a whole lot of good options back there. Uh, not looking forward to that at all. So let's look at the uh, let's look at the free agency here. Obviously talked about uh, Adam Thielen. He went to the Carolina Panthers on a three-year deal after we cut him. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, defensive tackle, um, really wanted him to be re-signed. He played very, very well last year. But the Cleveland Browns, I mean, slap you slap a four-year, $64 million contract with how cap-strapped that the Vikings were this offseason simply could not match that and put together uh, a good free agency or put, put together a good product on the field. So had to let Dalvin Tomlinson go. Hats off to the to, to the Cleveland Browns for spending some money and, and getting him in town. Hate to see him go. That's a big, big loss for the for the Minnesota Vikings in in an area that they really needed him to be in, especially with James Lynch, big time contributor last year going down with, I believe, an ACL in the preseason. It's going to be interesting, interesting times on the interior of that defensive line. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, I guess, how Brian Flores schemes around that. Hopefully, the linebackers can step up in a big way. It's it's looking interesting over on that side of the ball. I'll just put it that way. Uh, pick up Josh Oliver from the Baltimore Ravens, uh, tight end. He will not he will not be asked to do a whole lot of route running. I can assure you of that right this second. Uh, TJ Hawkinson's going to be doing a lot of that. Still got Johnny Munt over there who probably be, still be doing more uh, pass catching than what Josh Oliver is doing. Josh Oliver is one of the best blocking tight ends in the entire league. He will be asked to either stay in and pass pro or road grade on the on the run blocking side of things. Uh, I think it's going to be a very good uh, addition as far as creating space in the run game goes. Uh, not a guy you're going to be seeing a whole lot on the stat sheet, but a very good pickup. There's a reason they pay him like $8 million a year this offseason to basically just be a blocking tight end. He's that good at his job as blocking tight end. Uh, big time addition out of Arizona. We got Byron Murphy coming over from the Cardinals on a, about $11 million a year deal. Um, he's going to step in right away, be the number one corner. He's a very good corner. I saw, well, I'm not going to start going through the, the hype in preseason as far as one-on-one -on -one reps, but usually the one-on-one -on -one reps are almost invariably skewed to the offensive player. I saw him one-on-one -on -one with Justin Jefferson just absolutely in perfect coverage, which you don't usually see in those one-on-one -on -one drills. So I mean, I'm, I am so looking forward to having Byron Murphy in there. I think he's better than basically every corner we had last year, including Patrick Peterson, who, by the way, might as well just talk about it now. He went to the, to the Pittsburgh Steelers this offseason. Um... I'm not too broken up about that one because I think he's at that point in his career where you just can't guarantee that he'll stay healthy all the time. And I don't know if, I, probably good to just let him go in free agency because the, the previous season he could not stay on the field. Somehow, through the grace of God, stayed on the field for most of last season and stayed healthy, played fairly well. Uh, he'll be playing a bit more of a mentorship role with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but the Pittsburgh Steelers have some secondary problems of their own, so he'll probably be asked to step in right away and be that number one corner. That'll be something to watch over there in Pittsburgh. Uh, Garrett Bradbury, he stays in Minnesota on a three-year deal. Uh, they cut Eric Kendricks this season, this offseason, so he goes to the Los Angeles Chargers. I think he'll do pretty well the Los Angeles Chargers. It was an area of need for him, so that's good for him, good for them. Marcus Davenport, defensive end out of New Orleans, talented guy, That another another guy with injury problems, very good pass rusher, but can he stay healthy? Um, he comes over to Minnesota on a one-year deal with worth some pretty good money. I can't remember right off the top of my head what it was, but pretty good money there for 
Marcus Davenport probably help out with the pass rush, especially with the departure of Zadarius Smith on that other side, who was traded to the Cleveland Browns this offseason. Cleveland Browns, man, they're adding some players on the defensive side of the ball right now. They, they should be good this year. Should being the operative word as long as the nasty man does his job at quarterback. We don't have to rehash all of that. Let's just keep going with the free agency moves here. Uh, Dean Lowry comes over from the Green Bay Packers. I think he's like a 3-4 defensive end. He'll probably uh, slot in at the very least in a rotational role right away from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, not a bad pickup there. Not the flashiest in the world, but a good all-around player there for Brian Flores' defense. Uh, Dalvin Cook, we cut him. He goes to the New Newark Jets. Um, good pickup for them. I'm not sure if I talked about that last week, but yeah, he's with the Jets now. That one-two of Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook tells me they're going to run the piss out of the ball over there with the New York Jets. Um, Alexander Madison re-signed on a two-year deal with the Minnesota Vikings. Andrew DePaula, long snapper, re-signed on a three-year deal. Nick Mullins re-signs on a two-year deal, the backup quarterback. Ole Udo on a one-year deal is back. Greg Joseph is back at kicker, for better or for worse. He's you know right there in the middle of the pack average. Um, the all all uh, all potential team member Irv Smith, uh, tight end, goes from Minnesota to the Cincinnati Bengals. I think he'll be like the number one tight end for the Cincinnati Bengals. So good luck for the five games he got him before he is his body inevitably implodes. Um, Jonathan Bullard, defensive end, guy that we really could not afford to lose. He resigns on a one-year deal with the Vikings. Uh, Duke Shelley, fan favorite last year at cornerback. One of the one of the bright spots on a defense that was just abjectly terrible in the secondary last year. Minnesota loses him to the Las Vegas Raiders, where good luck, man. That seems to be a place where cornerbacks go to die. Um, Chandon Sullivan. Another guy that, you know, fans seem to appreciate. He went with Patrick Peterson to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that pretty much rounds out the personnel moves for the Minnesota Vikings. So with all of that said, let's look at the depth chart, shall we? We got Kirk Cousins starting off with the, what's the word, offense? Brain is totally just just fried eggs right now, I'll tell you that. Uh, in On the offense, Kirk Cousins starting at quarterback. Alexander Madison, Ty Chandler, and Kanae Wongwu are the backfield right now. And if you got Kanae Wongwu as your third running back, you have got problems because he is a kick return specialist. I would not expect him to be playing a whole lot at all in the backfield this year. But as the third back, he's going to get some reps. And I mean... Ty Chandler, a guy that we haven't really seen in the, in the lineup at all since he was drafted a couple years back out of North Carolina. He was good at North Carolina, but we haven't really seen anything out of him in the pros. Hopefully you get some good production out of him. Alexander Madison, I, I've talked about it before. He's got a lot to prove to me as far as what he can do. Um, just rushing efficiently. One of the worst uh, yards over expectation guys in the entire league last year uh, when it comes to, to rushing statistics, yards per carry, all that sort of stuff. Negative yards over expectation, actually, which is just simply not going to cut it. Um, hopefully he gets some some better blocking. I don't know. The offensive line is pretty solid for the most part, uh, especially on the run. I don't actually. I have I have no idea. I'm not really a uh, an offensive line expert there. But my goodness, the running back situation worries me more than just about anything else on this offense because the rest of the offense is honestly pretty solid. You look at the wide receivers. Maybe the best wide receiver in the game right now. I, 
probably the best wide receiver in the game right now, Justin Jefferson. Uh, Jordan Addison currently slated as the number two on ESPN, which doesn't really surprise me. He's looked very, very good in free agency. One of the most polished route runners outside of Jackson Smith and Jigba in the entire draft this year. Shouldn't have been fooled by that 40 time. He's still an absolute monster for him. Bolitnikoff winner uh, coming over. Slotting in at the second receiver right now with K.J. Osborne coming in at third. Jalen Rager still on the team, much to my chagrin. I, I don't like to see that guy on the field, but he's there. Uh, Brandon Powell, Jalen Naylor are your uh, fourth through sixth receivers. Also, watch out, folks. we still got Nikhil Harry on the roster, man. Former first-round pick. Uh, runs like he's got 10 pounds of cement in each of his shoes. Absolute monster out there coming at the seventh receiver. He... He can really make some waves here, folks. Watch out for Nikhil Harry, uh, if I do say so myself. Of course, got TJ Hawkinson at tight end. Josh Oliver at the second tight end. Johnny Munt over there as the third tight end. What else is new? TJ Hawkinson is going to do a lot of the pass catching. Josh Oliver is going to just absolutely kill people at the point of attack. I really like the tight end room this year. Um, and in addition to that, still got the hammer, CJ Ham at fullback. Use him as often as he can. Love that guy. Fan favorite. Certainly one of my favorites on the entire team. I love a fullback, especially a fullback with the last name of Ham. Just a fantastic fullback name, CJ Ham. Uh, and you look at the offensive line. One of the best left tackles, top five left tackles as far as I'm concerned in the entire game in Christian Derrissaw over there. Uh, left guard, you got Ezra Cleveland still who just, I, I need I remind you, kills people. Go look at some of the pass block reps that he had last year. Uh, Blindside and some of these defensive linemen absolutely decleated several people last year. I love Ezra Cleveland over there. I don't know how good all around he is. But Ezra Cleveland kills people. If you kill people at the point of attack, I'm going to love you forever and ever. Uh, center Garrett Bradbury, he's around. He's average. Uh, Ed Ingram, we're going to be looking for a big uptick from what he did last year. at right guard, second-round pick out of LSU last year. Really came on towards the end of the season better than what he was doing at the beginning, which you kind of expect from a rookie. Hopefully get a jump from him in his second year. And Brian O'Neill is returning. No injury designation at all, which is good news. After that, I believe it was an Achilles tear uh, last season at right tackle. Still, one of the best tackle duos in the entire league. Definitely, I think low-key a top 10 tackle duo in the entire league between Christian Derrissaw and Brian O'Neill. Hopefully, O'Neill looks the same after that surgery uh, in the offseason. But there you go. There's your offense right there. And honestly, I think they're going to be just about as good as they were last year uh, in, in the offense uh, with the Kevin O'Connell scheme in the second year, with the personnel, it's mostly the same. They just kind of got younger and better outside of the running back position. The running back position does scare me. Don't don't get it twisted. I am, I am very worried about Alexander Madison starting at running back right now. But outside of that, I mean, a very good receiving core, solid offensive line, solid tight end room, solid quarterback. I think they're going to be good again this year. I don't know what the – I mean, the ceiling is still probably like a top 10 offense – I don't think the floor is that low either. I think at the very worst, they're going to finish top half of the league, maybe outside of the top 10. I think they have every opportunity to finish inside the top 10 as long as they can They can just manufacture some degree of production out of the backfield in the running game. I think they're going to be all right when it's all said and done. I really like the makeup of this offense uh, for the Vikings this year. Let's look at the uh, defense of it all. Dean Lowry slotting in at that left defensive end in the 3-4 scheme. Uh, Kyrus Tonga, uh, I think draft pick of last year. He's at nose tackle. They got Harrison Phillips coming back at right defensive end. 
And of course, you got the Neil Hunter rush, rushing the passer, signed that big time uh, one year extension for that big time money this offseason, or during camp rather. Uh, you got inside linebacker Brian Osamoa starting this year, Jordan Hicks currently slated to start. Uh, honestly, who is it? Ivan Pace is kind of slated way down on the depth chart. I would I would honestly expect him to uh, to play more than they are telling us on ESPN right now. I think he's going to contribute in a big way this year, That the undrafted rookie out of Cincinnati. Uh, but as of right now, it's Brian Osamoa and Jordan Hicks at the inside linebacker's position with Marcus Davenport slating in on the other side, rushing opposite of Daniil Hunter. Not a bad front set. Well, the front three scares you. It, it's not the it's not an all star cast of, of of characters over there. Um, I do think that uh, I think that Brian Flores has his work cut out for him as far as what he's got there. Got a couple good pass rushers though, and Marcus Davenport, assuming health, you know, knock on wood over there, uh, and the Neil Hunter. Jordan Hicks probably gonna have to improve a little bit from what he showed on tape last season, but Brian Osamoa, he's solid. You got Troy Reader back there as the uh, as a little bit of, of depth as well. I don't know. We're just gonna have to wait and see. Personnel wise, I don't I don't know if they got better this offseason, but I don't know if they got markedly worse in a lot of in a lot of places outside of I guess losing Zadarius Smith and uh, Dalvin Tomlinson in the middle there. On the back end, you got uh, Caleb Evans coming back for his second year. He's going to be opposite of Byron Murphy on the outside. Andrew Booth uh, should be playing big snaps as well. Makai Blackman playing big snaps at cornerback. Uh, Jawan Williams is currently slated as the second corner behind Byron Murphy at the moment. So we'll just have to wait and see. Honestly, I could see the secondary, as far as the quarterbacks are concerned, being better than what they were last year. But it's a lot of young guys who are going to have to step up in a big way. Uh, still got Harrison Smith. Still got Cameron Bynum there on the back end. And you got Josh Metellus. You got Lewis Seen and uh, Jay Ward, who I was talking about, a fourth rounder in this year's draft. Really, really deep safety room, which I think should help out the cornerbacks even more. At the very least, you got a better cornerback than I think we had on the entire team last year in Byron Murphy. He's going to be a legit number one corner for us this year, and I think he's going to play well. Going to need people to step up opposite of that. Caleb Evans, Andrew Booth Jr., Makai Blackman, Jawan Williams, you got to figure it out. Some Someone's going to have to step up in a big way that we're not expecting. Andrew Booth is probably going to have to be that guy. Uh, second round pick from last year, was not healthy all of last year, so... He's going to need to step up in a big way and play this coming season up to his draft potential if we're going to have any semblance of a good secondary as, as far as the quarterback play is concerned. Overall, look, personnel-wise, is it is it that much of a better unit than it was last year when we got absolutely torched? No. Is the scheme better? Night and day. Much, much better than what it was last year under Brian Floor under, under uh. It's going to be much better under Brian Flores than what it was under Ed Donatell, which honestly, I keep forgetting Ed Donatell's name. I think my, my brain just kind of blocked that out from all the trauma that he caused on the defensive side of the ball for me last year. I do think they will be better in spite of not really having that much better of a, of a personnel group over there on the defensive side of the ball. I think... Will they be even sniffing the top 10? God, no, unless Brian Flores is an actual defensive genius. 
Will they be in the middle of the pack? I think that's where they end up being. I think they could very easily be uh, bottom middle of the pack. Um, I don't think they're going to be nearly as bad as they were last year, though. I think they're going to be just good enough to keep us in the games and not, you know, having teams pull away on us uh, with better offenses uh, when it's all said and done. I think they're going to be okay. They're not going to be good. They're not going to be terrible. They're just going to be right there somewhere from the 13 to 25 range. You figured out where they fall on that. I'm, I'm unsure personally. I do think they will be better than what they were last year. Overall, I think they're, this might be a better team than what the Vikings had last year. I just don't think they're going to go 13 and four because go look at some of the outcomes there. I mean, the Bills and the Colts game right off the top of my head probably should have been losses in both of those and they end up just pulling wins straight out of their asses just based on a mixture of luck, uh, fantastic play from the players on the field, and fantastic coaching from Kevin O'Connell. And sure, you're still going to get the fantastic coaching from Kevin O'Connell. You're still probably going to get good play from the players on the field. But the luck is something you, ju you just can't count on. The Vikings were objectively, by every single metric, one of, if not the luckiest teams uh, in the entire NFL last year. So you just can't you can't count on that for two years in a row. They might have a little bit better core, but they're not gonna they're not gonna sniff 13 and four as far as I'm concerned. But let's let's synthesize that and come up with a prediction here. I think the floor for the Vikings probably eight and nine. I think I could very, very easily see them going eight and nine this year, missing the playoffs, finishing third in the division or something like that. This is a team that high variance, I would say they could, they could be in the playoff hunt and playing very well. They could be right outside of the playoffs and just kind of, you know, playing team scrappy and tough, but being, you know, back to the Vikings luck being on unlucky uh, at every turn. I don't know. I think that that's probably the floor is is eight eight and nine, maybe even seven and ten if things go really awry. If they, if the defense truly does not live up to potential, if if Alexander Madison is just simply not good and no other back behind him can step up and uh, and fill that role, this is a team that you know could could underperform a little bit or a lot from what they did last season. Ceiling wise. I still think 11 and 6 is in the cards. I mean, if if we have even a modicum of the luck that we had last season, if Byron Murphy plays like we expect him to, if Brian Flores comes out there, schemes it up real good on the offensive or on the defensive side of the ball, and if the offense is a facsimile of what they were last year, I, I still think losing Dalvin Cook is going to hurt. But very good receiving core. I think better receiving core than what they had last year. Everyone comes back on the offensive line. You just got to get some semblance of good production out of the backfield, and you're going to be right there in the top 10 once again. If the defense is just serviceable, I think this is a playoff squad, which brings me to, that, to my prediction. And I've kind of had this in my mind for a while as far as what I think the Vikings are going to do. I think it's a 10-7 and seven year this year. I think 10-7 and seven is the goal. I think it's where the Vikings are going to end up being when it's all said and done. They're going to regress from last year just basically... I mean, by default, that they've been, they were so lucky last year. It's not going to be replicable, but I still think they're a good enough team to win games and get in the playoffs at ten and seven when it's all said and done. I don't know if that's going to be good enough to win the division overall, but I think it'll be good enough to get them in the playoffs as of right now. Uh, with that, though, let's move on to the Detroit Lions, the team that finished second in the division last year. Absolutely. Pissed in the Green Bay Packers Cheerios on the way out the door to get finished in second place. Uh, 
eliminated the Packers from the playoffs last season. Uh, I guess you love to see that. I mean, just love to see that on the way out the door for for Aaron Rodgers. Um, the Detroit Lions are coming back this year, and I think they have the best roster in the entire division. Still some questions on the defensive side of the ball. I think the front seven, secondary, I think they improved the front seven. They got some good additions in the secondary. I don't. I think they will be better from last year, which is not a very good defense uh, last season. I don't know how much better they're going to be. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. But at the same time, they've still got a lot of questions on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, Jared Goff is still your quarterback, which I get it. He's he's played better with the Detroit Lions than he did with the Los Angeles Rams. But at the end of the day, it is still Jared Goff. It's, you know, you never know when that switch is going to flip and he's just going to start making what the fuck throws in a bad way. Um you draft some really good players on the offensive side of the ball. You got one of, if not the best offensive lines in the entire game right now. Uh, receiving core, Jamison Williams got suspended for six games for, I mean, I don't want to say failing the idiot test. He got like a D on the idiot test. He, he, he bet on college football in the facility last year, which got him a six-game suspension. Didn't bet on the NFL, so he didn't fully get an F on the idiot test, but well, call it a C minus to a D plus as, as far as what what Jamison Williams did there. Enough to warrant the suspension. He won't be around though, so it's it's still going to be Amon Ross, St. Brown, and uh, a bunch of guys. I don't I don't really remember off the top of my head. Not not the strongest receiving core, but still a very good backfield. What they have in there right now. Somehow we're able to keep Ben Johnson in in town as the offensive coordinator. He interviewed for a bunch of jobs last year. I, I feel like they probably got him for one more year before he goes somewhere else, maybe maybe down to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or something like that. I don't want to I don't want to speculate on who's going to lose their job this season. You know, coaches get fired every year though, a head coach. So if someone's losing their job this season. I can I can assure you of that. And Ben Johnson's going to be right at the top of the list of uh, of guys to hire in that place. Same as same as Shane Waldron with the Seattle Seahawks. Absolute steal to keep Ben Johnson in town as the offensive coordinator. And with him in town, I still think this offense is going to be very very good. I think the defense is going to be improved. Overall, this is just a team that continues to build on what they've had from previous years. Last year they went on a big run to end the season and I uh, I can't remember if they finished 8 and they finished 9 and 8 last year so a little bit over 500 after starting terribly to start the season. Offense really looked great. Defense not the greatest in the world, but has improved this offseason. They've just continued to build on what Dan Campbell has instilled over there. I think the front office is doing a fantastic job. I think Dan Campbell is really excelling as a head coach in ways that some people maybe didn't expect before. And um, I hate that the Lions have gotten good. I now have to actively root against the Lions when for the longest time they were just the they were just the poor hapless team that you just felt sorry for every year. That is not the case anymore. The Detroit Lions are a legitimately good football team this year. And I think they're gonna be, have a really really good argument to win this division and host a playoff game uh, come December, January, whenever they play those games, uh, when it's all said and done. But with that said. Let's look at the personnel moves, shall we? First off, in the draft, uh, one of the more controversial picks of the draft this year, uh, they trade back from six, get a, a boatload of, of assets in exchange, and they take Jameer Gibbs at 12, running back out of Alabama. A guy that was kind of projected to go later in the first, like like way, way late, like like around the Chiefs range is when the, the uh, Jameer Gibbs pick was expected to come. Uh, the Detroit Lions really feel strongly about Jameer Gibbs, and I think he's going to be a monster in that offense. I think he's going to be 
He's going to be a matchup nightmare for linebackers out of the backfield. I think he's going to be playing a crucial role in the running game over there. Uh, they just signed David Montgomery in the offseason, too. Uh, they let they let go of Jamal Williams, who's an absolute short yardage weapon over there. Really big part of the offense last year. That's going to be something to watch as far as how they replace that. I think David Montgomery is going to play a lot of that role. But Jameer Gibbs, I think, is going to be an absolute monster in this offense. Maybe if you if you ask the draft nerds and the people that follow the analytics and, and whatnot, uh, probably overdrafted as far as value is concerned, but a guy that's going to step in right away and be an absolute monster for the team. So sometimes you just don't got to overthink it. Sometimes you just got to go ahead and take the most electric player at the uh, at the position you got him. Uh, so they take Jameer Gibbs at number 12. Second first round pick that they had, uh, uh, they take Jack Campbell inside linebacker out of Iowa. Another guy that probably drafted higher than people expected. It's a reason that the Detroit Lions won my Death to Analytics Award in the Draft Accolades episode back post-draft. Um, both of these players drafted higher than expected, but Jack Campbell is one of those guys that has been playing well in the preseason, has been an absolute tackling machine, a guy that they probably needed there on the front seven with how the front seven played last year. Maybe he was overdrafted, but if he turns out to be a very good player, does it really matter? I do not think so. Uh, if he gets to a second contract, that is A-OK -okay in my opinion uh, as far as the GM is concerned. And then you go to the second round. You get They get Sam Laporte, a tight end out of Iowa. I love that pick. I think he's going to be an absolute monster for that team in the passing game. Usually tight ends don't step in right away and have big-time production. I think Sam Laporte is going to be playing a big-time role in this offense, though. Uh, they get Brian Branch in the second round, uh, safety out of Alabama. He's been flying around in preseason and really impressing. I think basically... Each of their first four picks, I want to say, uh, Gibbs, Campbell, Laporta, Branch, all have a really good chance of starting this season and playing very, very well. I think that's about as good as you can ask for from the from the top end of the draft in your first four picks. Um, that's part of why the Detroit Lions are looking so formidable in the NFC North this year and why I probably think they're the best team in the division, which is a weird sentence to say after all the abject terrible play that the Lions have put out there uh, for the last several decades at this point. Uh, third round, you get Hendon Hooker, who probably going to be a bit of a project, that quarterback. They signed Teddy Bridgewater to be the backup, so not something you're probably going to do if you expect Hendon Hooker to step up in a big way and be maybe your QB of the future if Jared Goff ends up going out of town. Um, I really liked Hendon Hooker in college. I, I thought he was someone that could make some waves at the NFL level, but has not really uh, lived up to that so far. Haven't really heard hardly anything about Hendon Hooker in the preseason so far. Uh, third, well, also he's coming off an ACL injury, so that that probably doesn't help as well. He, I don't know if he's necessarily uh, slotting in right now. Uh, probably still recovering from that ACL injury. You don't want to rush him back, especially when he's just going to be a backup anyways, so I understand it. Um, hopefully he grounds into form. I really liked what he put out on tape in college. Um, after that, it's a, it's a bunch of guys that I am simply not familiar with. Uh, Broderick Martin, defensive tackle out of Western Kentucky. Colby Sorsdahl, Interesting name there. Colby Sorsdahl out of William & Mary. He's an offensive tackle. Drafted in the fifth round. Probably not going to see him at all this year because of the strength of that offensive line. Then the seventh round, they get Antoine Green, uh, the second wide receiver behind Josh Downs at North Carolina last season. And that's your draft right there for the Detroit Lions. 
Let's look at the free agency real quick. Oh, bring that up. Uh, Cam Sutton, their big time, one of their big time additions this offseason, uh, will slot right in as their number one cornerback. He's coming over from the Pittsburgh Steelers, now playing in Detroit, an upgrade over what they had last year, I assure you. Uh, Alex Anzalone stays in town at inside linebacker, a guy that they probably needed to re-sign in a a a personnel strapped front seven for the for the Detroit Lions. Um Draft additions notwithstanding there, of course. David Montgomery, they bring over from the Chicago Bears, like I just talked about, at running back. He'll be playing a tandem role with Jameer Gibbs this season. Jamal Williams, they lost to the New Orleans Saints on, I mean, a solid deal for for running back terms. I think he got like six-ish uh, million dollars a year. Absolute weapon in short yardage situations, like I said, that they're going to have to find a way to replace last year. I mean, there's a reason he got 18, 19 touchdowns last season. It's because he's an absolute unit on the goal line in short yardage situations. That cannot be understated how important that is uh, for a team that likes to run the ball like the Detroit Lions do. Uh, John Kaminsky, defensive end, he stays with the Detroit Lions. Honestly, Call me a bad football fan. Never heard of that guy before in my entire life, but he signed a pretty good-sized deal, so good for him. Uh, Mike Hughes goes from Detroit to the Atlanta Falcons. Former uh, Vikings first-round pick never quite panned out, so is it that big of a loss? Who's to say? Uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, big-time addition in the safety room. He comes over from the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, signed a one-year deal, I believe, worth like $8 million dollars. Should be a big-time, big-time player for him this year. He should step up and play big-time reps right away. That's why you bring him in. And he should be an upgrade over just about everyone else uh, that they had last year um, on that at that safety position. Big-time turnover machine last year. Big-time attitude. Should bring a nastiness to that defense that they haven't necessarily had over the last couple of years. And with Brian Branch next to him, Looks like a solid safety room right now. We'll get to that in just a second when we talk about the depth chart. Uh, also, they bring in Emmanuel Mosley on the other side of Cameron Sutton uh, to to play quarterback as well. He comes over from the San Francisco 49ers, one of the plethora of secondary options that have been lost by the San Francisco 49ers this offseason. Big-time addition for the Detroit Lions, though. I think he should step in right away and be a very big contributor for that secondary just across the board, they, they kind of upgraded in the secondary when it was all said and done. Uh, they lose DJ Chark in free agency to the Carolina Panthers. That was basically their number two receiver last year behind Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, a guy that they did not really replace in the offseason. That's a big question mark, the receiving room right now, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Chris Borland, they lose, or Chris Board, not Chris Borland. Chris Borland retired several years ago. Uh, Chris Board, uh, linebacker, he goes to the New England Patriots. Uh, CJ Moore, the safety, returns to the Detroit Lions. Teddy Bridgewater comes over in free agency, like I just talked about, to play a uh, backup tight end while Hendon Hooker is either recovering or not playing well. Either way, Teddy Bridgewater is there for your uh, your backup wide receiver, backup not backup wide receiver, backup quarterback needs. Uh, Marvin Jones kind of got buried in the depth chart back uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. See if he's got anything left in the tank. He comes over in free agency uh, to I don't think he might have been with the Detroit Lions before, so reuniting in Detroit. Uh, Graham Glasgow comes over from the, the Denver Broncos at guard. Evan Brown goes from the Lions to the Seahawks. And it's a bunch of guys that you probably have never heard of, so we'll just cut it off there. Uh, outside of that, 
Let's look at the depth chart for the Lions, shall we? On the offense, it's basically the same as last year. Well, not really. Let's talk about it real quick. Um, at quarterback, still Jared Goff. Nothing changed there. An above-average quarterback over the last couple of years. Hopefully, he can continue doing that. Still same offense, same offensive coordinator, so I have no reason to think that he will regress, but it is Jared Goff, so you never quite know. Uh, he's their starting quarterback right now. Uh, running back Jameer Gibbs is slated as the starter right now with David Montgomery playing backup. That's going to be a big-time one-two punch for him this year. And Like I already said, I really like Jameer Gibbs uh, and how he's going to be used. Hopefully, they use him in all over the field in this offense. I'm excited to see what Jameer Gibbs does. I just wish he didn't do it for a team that was in the Vikings division, but I digress. Uh, Almond Ross St. Brown is still your number one receiver. Jamison Williams slated at the number two, but you're not going to have him for the first six games of the year. Also dealing with a hamstring injury, so not going to see him at all for the rest of the preseason. Not going to see him for the first six weeks of the year. Um, hopefully he plays well when he gets back. And Marvin Jones is your third receiver. And honestly, if Marvin Jones is your third receiver, I think they got some serious receiver problems there in Detroit. This that this is the one part of the offense where I am a little bit hesitant uh, to 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 you know crown the the Detroit Lions just yet. The running game is going to be good just by just by default because of how good that offensive line is. Sure, I'll give you that. The wide receivers, though, Amon Ross St. Brown, not a guy who's going to stretch the field. Jamison Williams you're not going to have for, for the first six games. He can stretch the field, but you're going to have to figure out what's, what you're going to do for the first uh, quarter plus of the season there uh, until he gets back. Really, a th first third of the season, even, uh, until he gets back. Uh, Marvin Jones, 33 years old at this point. Who knows what's left in the tank? That's your third receiver. I mean, you still got Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond back there. I don't know. They're going to have to lean on the running game a lot with how the the uh, the wide receiver is lo is looking right now on this offense. Uh, Sam Laporta, they got at tight end right now. And behind him, not really a whole lot. Got Brock Wright and James Mitchell, who I've never heard of in my entire life. Um, Sam Laporta is going to be asked to step up in a big way. That's what I'm getting from all of this in the receiving room. Amon Ross St. Brown, he's going to he's going to do his thing. He's going to get anywhere from five to ten catches a game and just absolutely carve up the short to intermediate routes. You you're it's certainly a certainly a role that needs to be filled and a guy that's still going to be the number one receiver on this team. Uh, outside of him, though, you're going to need a a guy that's going to make some plays. Sam Laporta might end up being that guy. He might be a guy they lean on very early. They're going to ask him to step up in a big way, I would imagine, coming straight out of college, uh, slotting in there right away. Good lineage there as an Iowa tight end, but got a lot to prove there in year one. They're going to need him to step up in a big way. Uh, Jason Cabinda, their uh, fullback right now. Uh, in that offensive line, we got Taylor Decker, Jonah Jackson, Frank Ragno. Uh, how about this for a name? Halapulivati Vitae. I think I totally nailed that. I think I just absolutely crushed that. Killed it, slaughtered it, if you will, at right guard. Vitae, oh man, I, I feel good about that one. That's probably the best pronunciation I've had in this, pro in this podcast in quite some time, but I digress. And of course, Penny Sewell, uh, the big-time draft pick a couple years ago at right tackle. Like I said before, and I probably don't need to say it a whole lot again, one of, if not the best offensive lines in the entire uh, game right now. In in the entire NFL, one of the best offensive lines out there. I think on the strength of that offensive line, I think they're going to run the ball very well, and that run game is going to create some opportunities in the pass game, which they're going to need. I think the 
there's no there's no way around it. This receiving core is maybe not markedly worse, but it is worse than it was uh, last season losing DJ Chark. Um, I think they're going to struggle a little bit in the passing game, and I think the running game is going to be good enough to maybe create a few more opportunities than they would have had a lot more one-on-one -on -one opportunities for sure on the outside. I don't think that they're going to be you know, an abjectly terrible offense. I don't think they're going to be like a bottom half in the 20s offense, but I do think they could be, you know, maybe pushing top 10. I do not see them being a top 10 offense this year. I don't think their offense is going to be as good as it was last year. I think losing Jamal Williams is going to be a, a big loss in the scoring uh, category. That maybe won't show on like the yards per carry numbers, but short yardage situations, there was just about no one outside of the Eagles QB sneak that was better in short yardage than Jamal Williams last year. That's going to be a big loss for him uh, throughout the course of, of this season. I think it's going to show out there because Jameer Gibbs, I think he's going to be an absolute monster in this offense, but he's not going to perform the same role that Jamal Williams does when it's all said and done. Overall, I don't hate this offense, but I don't love it either. I think they're like somewhere... Somewhere between 11 and 16, I would imagine. Um, I don't see them. I don't see them getting in the top 10. Maybe they're even in like a little bit towards the bottom half of the league. I, I just don't. I don't love the receiver situation right now. I think the running game is going to be good, but I don't love the receiver situation. That pretty much sums it up. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, got Aiden Hutchinson returning back there at that 4-3 left defensive end. Aleem McNeil, who I've definitely heard of before. Isaiah Bugs there in the middle as well. And then you got Charles Harris on the right side. Again, bunch of people, I got no idea who they are outside of Aiden Hutchinson, but need him to step up in a big way. Uh, Jack Campbell coming in at, at starting linebacker next to Alex Anzalone with Derek Barnes as the other linebacker. This front seven still needs some work. It's It's got some guys that I don't necessarily know a whole lot about. Going to need to step up if they're going to be improved from last year. You still got Aiden Hutchinson there, though, who really flashed at times last year. If he steps up in a big way, might be able to offset a little bit of a lack of talent there in the front seven. On the back end, you got Cam Sutton stepping in. Uh, you got Jerry Jacobs. on the, Who the hell is Jerry Jacobs? I don't know. Emmanuel Mosley is apparently out right now, uh, slated as the second quarter behind some guy named Jerry Jacobs. We'll see on that. Uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson is listed at corner for whatever reason. I don't know. And then Kirby Joseph and Trent. What the hell is this depth? I don't think this depth chart is even remotely right. First off, C.J. Gardner-Johnson is a safety not a cornerback. Don't know why they have him listed at cornerback, but he'll be the starting safety. Uh, Brian Branch is probably going to be the starting uh, either free safety or strong safety. Take your pick, whichever one C.J. Gardner-Johnson's not taking. I can almost guarantee you that's going to be the, uh, the the way this thing uh, plays out. Emmanuel Mosley, I don't know what the injury situation is there, but he's going to eventually start at the opposite cornerback at Cameron Sutton. And overall, I think a much improved secondary from what they had last year with those with those additions in mind. Do I think this defense is going to be great? I do not. I, I don't I don't think they're gonna be terrible. I don't I don't think they're going to be bottom of the league like they were for a lot a lot of last season. I think you're gonna create more turnovers. I think the secondary is gonna be better, and I think the additions in the front seven, namely Jack Campbell and Aiden Hutchinson coming into his own in his second year, retaining Alex Anzalone. I think they're going to be better. They're going to be physical. They're going to be good. Are they going to be great? Not a chance. I don't think they're going to be anywhere near the top 10. I think they're probably going to be somewhere in the middle of the pack, whether it be bottom or top of the middle of the pack, probably somewhere in there. 
And you know what? Going through this, actually looking at all the all the stuff, I don't know. Maybe the Vikings are a little bit better than uh, than, than the Detroit Lions this year. I I could be wrong on that, but man, I'm looking at the depth chart. I might I might be coming off my take that the Detroit Lions are the best team in the division right now. It still might be the Vikings when it's all said and done, just based off of what the Detroit Lions uh, lost this offseason. Uh, very interesting, very, very interesting. But with that said, let's talk about expectations here. For the floor, just looking at what I just saw, I mean, anywhere from... Ah, I mean, probably pretty similar to what the Vikings. I mean, seven or eight wins is probably the floor. I don't see them being as bad as a six-win team. I don't think they're. I, th- I think they're well coached enough, and they got a good enough like you know culture in place to where they're probably not going to be in that six-win range. But I could very easily see them if things go awry. Seven, eight wins, not necessarily being in the playoff hunt. When it's all said and done, but the NFC North being what it is, maybe they're still in contention uh, for the division at eight and nine, if that's what it ends up being. That's kind of the floor. I mean, that the, there's no guarantee that the front seven will play well for them. Uh, I think the back end will be better, but how much better is the question there? And where are you going to find production in the receiving room? Obviously, talked about how I feel about the running back situation. Um, short yardage are going to suffer with the with the loss of Jamal Williams. What are they going to do to to create? Um, opportunities on the outside that, that's the real question for me ceiling wise though i could i could easily see this being um 11 wins 11 12 win team even i don't i don't know man i'm kind of coming off it with how i'm, I'm seeing that uh, that depth chart i don't know if they're going to be just killing teams on the offensive or defensive side of the ball i think you're just going to be a, a little bit average maybe maybe a little bit above average i don't know maybe maybe it's like a 10 or 11 win season this year my gut probably 10 and 7 for their record overall though probably right there with the Vikings when it's all said and done. I don't think the 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 Detroit Lions and the Minnesota Vikings are that much different as far as uh what they are this season team makeup wise. I think it's going to be between those teams uh when it's all said and done for uh capturing this division title and uh seeing who hosts a playoff game. I don't know Will this be a division that has a, a wild card team come out of it? I don't know. If it is, it's only going to be one wild card team. I feel like I don't think either. It's gonna whoever finishes second in the division is probably going to be a wild card spot. I don't see anyone past that really competing for a, a division or, or a wild card spot or a playoff spot for that matter. Uh, when it's all said and done. I feel like pretty clearly uh, the Vikings and the Lions are the top two teams in this division, though. So with that said, let's talk about the bottom half of this division last year. Obviously, starting with the Green Bay Packers because they didn't get the number one overall pick this past season. They were at least okay, but at times not very good. It's it's the Green Bay Packers, of course. Um what else is new? They lose Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love is stepping in this this uh, this season as the new starting quarterback. I think I'm higher on Jordan Love than a lot of people are. I think watching the little the few reps that he's had um, in preseason and in the regular season, he's got an absolute cannon. Uh, I think he showed throughout last season when he got his reps that he's a better decision maker than he was when he came into the league, more accurate than he was coming into the league. I think he's got command of the team right now. He seems like a really good leader uh, on and off the field. 
has thrown some absolute dimes in both the preseason and last year whenever he was out there. Like I said, absolute cannon as well. I like Jordan Love. I think he's going to actually end up playing pretty well this season. The question is, what is going to happen outside of Jordan Love. The defense, personnel-wise, should be one of the better defenses in the entire league, but you still got Joe Barry there who has not been able to put together a particularly strong defense in his tenure thus far as a Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator. Um... Are they going to run the ball a little bit more, play behind A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones? You would almost almost guarantee that that's going to happen based on uh, based on just what they had uh, in place with Jordan Love at, at quarterback, young guy stepping in there in his first year starting, probably probably behooves you to run the ball a lot more than what you did last year with Aaron Rodgers. Um, when it's all said and done, though, if this team plays up the expectation, or not really expectation, but to, to the potential, ooh, excuse me, this, this could still be a playoff caliber roster. I mean, I've said that about every team thus far, but who's to say it's not true, though? Who's to say it's not true? I'm just going to get straight into the personnel moves, though. Um, first and foremost, in the first round, they get defensive end, uh, Iowa defensive end, Lucas Van Ness. Um, he should probably step in and play right away based on their needs. And once again, it's another year where the Packers do not take a, uh, a weapon in the first round. That would have been hilarious, though, if they decided to do that, uh, take a wide receiver right off the bat, uh, right as they, they ship Aaron Rodgers right out the door. Would have been hilarious, but they didn't do that. What they do do, <laughs> do do, what they did in the second round, though, second and third round for that matter, is they just absolutely hit the weapons. I mean, Luke Musgrave, uh, explosive tight end out of uh, Oregon State. He's been uh, reportedly one of the fastest players on the field in uh, in in camp thus far, really channeling my ML football rookie watch uh, sort of uh, reportedly there. Um, he's he's reportedly played very, very well in, in preseason, in, in camp thus far. Um, seems to be an explosive type of player. Again, usually you don't get a, a big-time production out of tight ends in their rookie years, but who's to say Luke Musgrove can't be different on that front? Uh, also get Jaden Reed in the second round out of Michigan State uh, with one of those Aaron Rodgers picks, I want to say. Um, He'll step in right away and, and be a contributor there as well, really bolstering that, uh, that that receiving room. And then in the third round, you get Tucker Kraft out of South Dakota State tight end uh, to really round out the tight end room there. They lose Robert Tunyon this offseason, so they basically just had to full new slate that thing. And I think they did all right with between uh, Luke Musgrave and Tyler Kraft. Just a really, really deep tight end class this year in the draft. I'm looking forward to seeing what those young guys do. I think Kraft is probably going to be asked to do a little bit more of the blocking, whereas Luke Musgrave, they're just going to be like, hey, Go out there and just play big slot receiver. That That's all we're going to ask you to do. And I think Jordan Love is going to probably lean on him a good amount. Always look for uh, the tight end safety blanket when a young quarterback is starting out over there. It's an important role, and I think Luke Musgrave, if he can stay healthy, that was a big question at Oregon State, if he can stay healthy, should fill that role very nicely for him uh, in Green Bay. Outside of that, you get Colby Wooden out of Auburn, defensive tackle, a guy I've definitely heard of before. Um, you get uh, Sean Clifford, uh, now 45 years old, coming out of Penn State, uh, a decorated 20-year veteran in the Big Ten. He'll be your backup quarterback this year for the Green Bay Packers. Um, all jokes aside, probably not a bad pick up there. It's a fifth-round pick, but uh, a lot of experience in college, started a whole lot of games at Penn State. 
a guy that I think if if he has to step in, I think can play pretty pretty well uh, when it's all said. I mean, not pretty pretty well, but good enough when it's all said and done. Outside of that. Um, Really, the only pick of note is in the sixth round. They get Anders Carlson out of Auburn, the place kicker. He is going to step in and be the new kicker uh, now that Mason Crosby has kind of uh, faded into the background. Uh, I think... I don't know if Mason Crosby officially retired. I can't remember if he did or not this offseason, but he's no longer with the Green Bay Packers after a long, long tenure. So they draft Andrews Carlson in the sixth round. He's going to step in right away and be the the place kicker for at least this year. We'll have to see what happens after that. Um, But there you go. There's your draft right there for the Green Bay Packers. Let's look at the free agency additions. Uh, first and foremost, they lose Alan Lazard to the New York Jets on a four-year deal. Uh, he goes and plays with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Jaron Reed, defensive end, they lose to the Seattle Seahawks on a two-year deal. Dean Lowry, like we just talked about, he goes to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon, the uh, the big-time returner there, well, really changed the, changed the team last season with how he was able to return kicks, punts, all that sort of stuff. He is back on a one-year deal with the Packers. Uh, Matthew Orzek. Long snapper. That's why I don't know who the hell he is. He comes over from the Los Angeles Rams to uh, have a totally new long snapper kicker combo there. That's ne- I mean, could be terrible, could be okay. We'll have to see how it goes uh, when the season starts. Uh, Randall Cobb following his quarterback to the New York Jets as well. That's big shocker there. Uh, Robert Tunyon goes over to the Chicago Bears to play behind Cole Komet. And that group of tight ends, big dog Mercedes Lewis goes over to Chicago as well. Should probably uh, be a factor in the run blocking. Uh, Adrian Amos goes over to the New York Jets in a one-year deal following Aaron Rodgers as well. And then you get Jonathan Ford, uh, Dallin Leavitt, Bunch of guys that you've never heard of, so we're going to stop it right there. Um, oh, well, no, no, no. The, the Packers lost the long snapper, Jack Kako, to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, and there's your there's your personnel moves there. So let's look at the depth chart, shall we? And on offense, Jordan Love is your starting quarterback. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon are your, your top two running backs. Should be big-time contributors this year. Probably the focal point of the offense, if I had to guess. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon really getting back to how the offense was built to run the ball and create opportunities in the pass game off of that running. Uh, in, in the wide receiver core, Christian Watson is now going to be the number one wide receiver. Big-time, explosive, 6'5", 4-2-4-3 running wide receiver last year. Just a physical freak out there. When you All you really need to do is get the ball in his hands, and he's so good after the catch, he can turn a 5-yard play into a 40-yard play in an instant with that explosive speed that he's got. He's going to have to step up big time, though, as the number one receiver. Defenses are going to be keying on him this year, I can assure you of that. Behind him, behind him uh, Romeo Doobie Doobie Doobs, Romeo Dobbs, if you will, going to be the second receiver. Uh, Jaden Reed, the, the guy that I just talked about getting drafted in the second round of Michigan State, he will be your third receiver. Samori Toure uh, stepping in as the uh, fourth receiver. Also, by the way, Malik Heath, shout out, sixth receiver for the Green Bay Packers right now, former Mississippi State product. Shout out to you there. Hopefully he plays well. I've got no expectations of that, but hopefully he plays well. Uh, not a great, not a great history of wide receivers at Mississippi State, but who's to say? Maybe, maybe he steps up in a big way for them that I'm not expecting. And of course, like I, like I said, Luke Musgrave and Tucker Crafty, pair of rookie tight ends, are going to be the top two tight ends for this team right now. 
look for Luke Musgrave to feature heavily in this offense, uh, at least especially early on with being that security blanket type of role for Jordan Love uh, in the kind of short to intermediate game. Uh, Josiah DeGuara is currently uh, slated at fullback. He's kind of a, a tight end fullback hybrid that you can kind of play in both uh, arenas, but he is still slated as the starting fullback right now, Josiah DeGuara. Uh, and then on the offensive line, will David Bakhtiari be a semblance of his former self before all of the various knee issues that were stored over the last couple years? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. He's still the left tackle starting for him. Elton Jenkins, Mississippi State product. I just talked about the not great uh, lineage for Mississippi State wide receivers. Mississippi State offensive linemen, fantastic lineage. And Elton Jenkins is just one of those guys out there. Versatile offensive lineman, can play basically every position on the offensive line for you. He's currently slated at the left guard as of right now. Uh, Josh Myers is at center. John Runyon at right guard. Zach Tom at right tackle. And if I had to pinpoint one area outside of Elton Jenkins... This offensive line is a big-time question mark. I do not know what to expect from this group. I think they're probably going... It's another thing that makes me think they're going to run the piss out of the ball uh, because not only do they have a young quarterback, they have an offensive line that is a big-time question mark. And when you got an offensive line as a question mark, it is just a fact that run blocking is easier for offensive lines than pass blocking. And it is more fun, I can tell you that right now, as a former uh, Little League offensive lineman, uh, brief JV offensive lineman in high school as well. Run blocking is so much more fun than pass blocking. Pass blocking, you're just dying slowly. Run blocking, you are hitting people, and you are going downhill, and it is just good, good times for the whole family, I'll tell you that right now. But that is all to say... This feels like it's going to be a very run-centric offense, and I got no idea where to where to slate this offense right now. It really kind of all depends on what Jordan Love does. I don't think I definitely don't think they're going to be pushing the top ten. I don't I don't know if that's necessarily how this offense is built this year. But hey, if Jordan Love turns out to be even better than I think he is, I mean, there's no reason to think that they can't. I mean, if, if Jordan Love turns out to be that third guy in the legacy of Favre, then Rodgers, and then hopefully if you're a Green Bay Packers fan, Jordan Love, if he turns out to be that that type of player, maybe they turn out to, to have that good of an offense, but I don't necessarily know on that. This, again, feels like another middle-of-the-pack sort of offense. Really, anywhere from say 11 to 25 you can just take your pick i have no idea where any of these offenses are going to land in that i don't think they're going to be abjectly terrible i think matt lafleur has a good enough scheme and they have a good enough backfield uh to where they're going to be at least serviceable on the offensive side of the ball how much better than serviceable are they that's the real question when it comes to the green bay packers big time mystery for me as to what this team is going to look like on the offensive side of the ball defensive side of the ball Got up, they're littered with first-round picks right now. They got Kenny Clark, who long-time, very good contributor there for the Green Bay Packers. He's at the left defensive end. Uh, TJ Slayton, whom I've never heard of in my entire life, is starting at nose tackle. Uh, last, one of last year's first-round picks, Devontae Wyatt, is starting at that 3-4 defensive end on the other side of Kenny Clark. My nose just keeps on inching, man. You hate to see it. Um, weak side linebacker, they have got De, uh, Preston Smith rushing the passer. Again, Mississippi State product. You look at that lineage of uh, pass rushers, love to see it. Very, very good pedigree out of Mississippi State on that defensive line. Uh, Preston Smith still there with the Green Bay Packers right now. Um, 
Inside linebacker Devondre Campbell, the former All-Pro, had a bit of a down year last year, but looking to bounce back in a big way. Uh, he's going to be next to Quay Walker, another first-round pick from last year. Uh, Rashawn Gary coming back off that ACL injury from a year ago. Hopefully he, he plays and, and steps up in a big way. When he was on the field, this Green Bay Packers defense was playing um, better than it had really the entire season after he was injured last year. So if Rashawn Gary can stay healthy, this front seven may be good, but if you just look on paper, outside of TJ Slayton, this is just a lineup of really, really good players. I mean, you're going to want Devontae Wyatt to step up from what he did in his first year, but Preston Smith's a good pass rusher. Rashawn Gary, really good opposite of Preston Smith. Quay Walker was a tackling machine last year, though not necessarily the most disciplined at times, as you know, as shown by the ejection in the final game of the year and crying in the tunnel because you know he got ejected in the final game of the year. Bad look, bad look for Quay Walker on that one, but a very good player, very talented player. Devondre Campbell, like I just said, former All-Pro. If all these players kind of step up and play to what they're expected to, this could be maybe the best front seven in the the entire division and could possibly carry them to a division title. I mean, the the one thing about the NFC North this year is outside of the, 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 the Bears, who, I mean, hell, even they might have an argument to maybe make a push for the division. Everyone's in play for this division in the NFC North this year. I think it's going to be a very competitive division and Right, like I like I just said, I think this front seven for the Green Bay Packers might be the best in the entire division right now. Uh, on the back end, got Jair Alexander, Rasul Douglas as your cornerbacks. Eric Stokes uh, currently nursing an injury as well. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon right now slated as the corner behind Jair Alexander. Not something you want. I'm gonna put that out there right now. He's a kick return specialist. He's an electric kick return specialist, but. It, when you got kick return specialists really uh, uh, slotting into rotational roles in the secondary or in any part of uh, where their actual sort of uh, position is, probably not a good a good sign. Probably not a good sign. Not really great for the depth in that secondary. But the top two there, Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas, solid cornerback duo. Solid cornerback duo when it's all said and done. The real questions come on the back end with Jonathan Owens at strong safety, Darnell Savage at free safety. Obviously losing Adrian Amos, uh, Jonathan Owens steps up as the new strong safety. Uh, Darnell Savage, we all know, well maybe we don't all know, but we know what he, he, he brings to the table. Very, very good free safety. Overall, like I said, the personnel on this on this defense could be the best defense in the entire division. And with that running game on the other side, who's to say what the potential could end up being for this group? Anywhere in the middle of the pack, probably probably uh, pushing the top of the middle of the pack, if you will. Uh, anywhere from that, you know, the 18 to, to 11 range. Don't see him getting into the top 10 unless everyone plays out of their mind this season. But... We'll just have to wait and see. I don't. I don't really. I don't have a big read on this team. Again, it's Joe Barry at defensive coordinator. I don't have a whole lot of faith in, quite frankly. So, they got some really good personnel on the defensive side of the ball, but do they have the coaching in place to take advantage of that personnel? We're just gonna have to wait and see. I don't feel very optimistic on that question. I'll just put it to you that way. And as far as the expectations for this team, floor very easily could see them going 6 and 11 and 7 and 10 and it all just comes down to what does that offensive line look like in my opinion if it's an abject disaster i mean you could put lipstick on that pig all you want 
the receiving core is full of young guys. Christian Watson at number one receiver is is yet to be seen how that's going to work out. It, it worked out well last year when Alan Lazar was get taking those those number one reps. But different year, new quarterback. There's no guarantee that Christian Watson is going to magically uh, sort of get an entire route tree. Could he be a, a, as good as he was last year? Certainly towards the end of the season, but. I don't know. Uh, the receiving core isn't the strongest in the world. They're, again, counting on a rookie tight end for, for big-time production, not historically the greatest route to success when it's all said and done. Uh, the offense is really going to be what holds them back when it's all said. I think the defense is going to be solid. Um, Worst-case scenario, like I said, bottom middle of the pack for them. And that's just basically on the strength of, of Joe Barry or the lack of strength of Joe Barry at defensive coordinator. I've made no bones about how I feel about that throughout the course of this uh, this whole analysis here. Uh, it, it all kind of rests on the offensive line and what Joe Barry does. And if both of those kind of fall through, 7-10, and 6-11, and 11, not out of the cards here for the Green Bay Packers. Could be a lot like that uh, first starting year for Aaron Rodgers after Brett Favre let, left town. Some good flashes, but overall the team just not necessarily up to snuff when it's all said and done. Ceiling, though, stop me if this sounds familiar, could be a 7-10 and 10 ball or 10-7 and 7 ball club. Really would not be a surprise at all if they were pushing for a playoff spot if, you know, they run behind that offensive line. Uh, the offensive line plays at the very least to an average level. Again, David Bakhtiari coming back after all of those knee injuries. There's no guarantee that he's going to be the same left tackle that he'd been uh, throughout the course of his career before that injury saga. Um, in fact, I am I am more leaning towards that he's probably not going to be quite the player that he was before that, that injury saga on his knee. We won't know until we start, but easier to, to run the ball. I could very easily see them just kind of running the ball very effectively, taking shots down the field with that cannon of an arm that Jordan Love has when they get the opportunities. The defense plays well like I like you would expect them to based on the personnel. Um, could very easily be a playoff contending team, but... One of those three teams right now, one one of those three teams at the top is going to fall off in some way and not be anywhere close to the playoffs when it's all said and done. I I see two teams in this division probably finishing uh, pretty well below 500, either like 7 and 10 or, or lower than that. Um, could it be the Packers? Maybe. Could it be the Vikings? Lions? I, any one of those teams could could end up dropping off, but I see the ceiling for this team, this Packers team, at 10 and 7. Um, my gut tells me nine and eight for this team. Nine, nine and eight with under the first year of Jordan Love, still kind of rebuilding the uh, the weapons on the offensive side of the ball, trying to uh, see what you got on that side. Um, Jordan Love getting acclimated as the starting quarterback. Nine and eight will be a smashing success, and I think that's kind of what they're looking for. Hell, at nine and eight, you may be able to uh, to push for a playoff spot in a weak NFC outside of like the NFC East. Uh, no, no question in my mind that nine and eight would at least put them in the hunt. And if you're in the hunt in the first year of uh, Jordan Love starting, I don't think that's a bad place to be for the Green Bay Packers. So nine and eight is my prediction for what they're going to do this season. Uh, let's talk about the final team in this division, though, the lowly, sad Chicago Bears. Um, they were the number one overall pick last year. Finished, I want to say, like three and fourteen. Bad, terrible, poo-poo, stink, garbage team uh, towards the end of last season, but had some fun flashes with uh, Justin Fields. Maybe uh, one of the fastest quarterbacks in the entire league, uh, probably the best running quarterback outside of Lamar Jackson in the entire league as well. Um, 
Questions abound about his throwing ability. Was not good at all in the accuracy portion of his game last year, but didn't have a great wide receiver group. They bring in, with that number one overall pick, uh, they wheeled him for, I believe, two first-round picks um, in addition to the, the Panthers' first-round pick this year, plus DJ Moore, the number one wide receiver for the Carolina Panthers. He will step in and be the number one wide receiver for Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. And I'll tell you right now, that is a brilliant addition by Ryan Poles, and I cannot believe, I still cannot believe that Scott Fitterer gave up DJ Moore in that trade. I mean, especially when you're bringing in Bryce Young as your quarterback for the, the Carolina Panthers, I think a guy like DJ Moore is just fantastic to have in there, a legit number one receiver. But I digress. We're not talking about the uh, Carolina Panthers right now. We're talking about the Chicago Bears. My God, this nose is just itching me up a storm. But why I think DJ Moore is a brilliant addition for the Chicago Bears is Justin Fields has shown a inconsistent at best accuracy down the field. DJ Moore is the type of guy that we saw it in the preseason game, like just right off the bat, he catches a screen, goes 45 yards. That is what DJ Moore does. After the catch, he's one of the best in the entire league, turns into a running back immediately after the catch. He can still catch the ball down the field, create big plays when you need him to, but he creates easy completions that you can turn into big yardage right off the bat. I love DJ Moore uh, pairing with Justin Fields. I think it's going to help him out uh, developing as a quarterback. And outside of that, I mean, they've got a okay group. We'll get into it when we get to the, the the actual meat of the of the personnel and whatnot, but they're improved from what they were last year. Uh, they, they drafted well, I think. Well, we'll see how they, how they drafted when it's all said and done, but I, I think they picked up some players at, at positions where they really needed to pick up new guys, so that's that's something you, you want to see. Picked up a bunch of players on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Will they be better than they were last year? I think they'll be better than they were last year, but I don't think that necessarily results in a playoff berth. But with that said, um, let's just get straight into it, shall we? Starting off with the draft, they trade back to number 10, and they take Darnell Wright, offensive tackle out of Tennessee. Um, a guy that was in a position, I mean, that offensive line was just god awful for the Chicago Bears last year. That's part of the reason why they ran so much. See, see, the run blocking is easier than pass blocking point that I've made several times on this podcast at this point. Um, a guy like Darnell Wright will help out right away in addition to what they added in free agency, which we'll talk about in, in just a second here. Uh, they get Gervon Dexter, defensive tackle out of Florida in the second round. Again, Position of need. Defensive line was abjectly terrible last year. I mean, the front seven, really the entire defense needed to be overhauled from what they were last year because they were just god-awful. An over-machine based on what uh, Justin Fields did on offense and what the defense didn't do on the other side of the ball. So a guy that will probably slot in and play big-time minutes right away. Uh, Tyreek Stevenson, cornerback out of Miami, they take in the second round as well. He'll probably probably play some big-time reps for him this year, a guy to watch on that uh, almost a Detroit Lions. Chicago Bears defense, different different team that's just been sad for all of these years. Um, Roshan Johnson, sneaky, sneaky pick running back out of Texas. He was, I mean... He Roshan Johnson would have started for just about every other team in the FBS last year. Uh, the problem is that Texas 
He had a guy by the name that you might have heard of, uh, Bijan Robinson, maybe the best running back prospect we've had uh, since Saquon Barkley and beyond coming into this draft. Uh, he was slated behind him, and Texas had maybe the best backfield in the entire country, uh, rivaled probably only by Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams with the with Ohio State, who's, by the way, both those guys are still there. They should be the focal point of that offense for Ohio State this year, but I don't want to get off the point here. Roshan Johnson... I would not be surprised if he ended up playing big-time, big-time reps for them this year, maybe even starting when it's all said and done. Still got Khalil Herbert in place, but Roshan Johnson in the fourth round. You take a running back in the fourth round, it's not like other positions. Like I said, high, high hit rate on running backs in the draft is based on how the position is played. I think Roshan Johnson is going to be playing a pivotal role for them uh, this year. And I got so excited about Roshan Johnson, I just totally skipped over their, the first pick in the third round, Zach Pickens' defensive tackle out of uh, South Carolina. Another guy like Gervon Dexter that's going to be asked to play right away in all likelihood and play some high leverage reps for him. Uh, they draft Tyler Scott, wide receiver out of Cincinnati. Uh, Noah Sewell out of Oregon, staying in the NFC North for the Sewell family. Uh, inside linebacker from Oregon. They take him in the fifth round. Uh, Terrell Smith, cornerback out of Minnesota, they take in the fifth round as well. And then you want to know what the what the big time needs are for the, uh, the Chicago Bears. Uh, th- this is this is the, the final four picks in the draft for the Chicago Bears. Inside linebacker, cornerback, de- defensive tackle, cornerback. That should tell you all you need to know about the needs of this team. They got to get that defense shored up, especially with head coach Matt Eberflus. Probably his preference is to shore up that defense <laughs> before you get anywhere else. I gotta gotta wet the old whistle here. I haven't taken a single drink since I started uh, this podcast an hour and a half ago. <sighs> Sipping on water today. No no caffeinated beverage. I'm coming right off of right off of brushing the old teeth. Brushing the old pearlies, if you will. So I didn't want to didn't want to just straight acid those things uh, right off the bat. But there you go. That's that's the draft for the Chicago Bears. I think overall got some solid players in positions of need. With that, let's look at the free agency class forum. Signed a bunch of players, but just some of the highlights here. They get star inside linebacker Tremaine Edmonds from the Buffalo Bills. He should step in and be an upgrade right away to what they had. Uh, Nate Davis, uh, guard for the Tennessee Titans, one of the only good uh, offensive linemen they had. He comes over from the Tennessee Titans, uh, will shore up the interior of that offensive line, certainly an upgrade over what they've had there uh, over the past season. Uh, Demarcus Walker comes over from the Tennessee Titans as well, slated in at defensive end. TJ Edwards a uh, big-time addition out of the Philadelphia Eagles inside linebacker. That's that him and Tremaine Edwards will start right away. Just a, an upgrade uh, on both both ends there at the inside linebacker should really help out the front seven. He comes over from Philadelphia, like I said. Uh, they lose David Montgomery, like I was talking about before, uh, to the Detroit Lions on a three-year deal. Um, probably not going to be worrying about that too much because, like I just said, they have Khalil Herbert. They drafted Roshan Johnson. Uh, not not overly worried about that if I'm a Chicago Bears fan right now. Um, Yannick Ngakwe comes over. Late in free agency, early training camp, he signs a $10 million deal, mostly guaranteed. I think it's like $10.5 million. Uh, only that final half million is not guaranteed. The rest of it is fully guaranteed. He'll slide in right away at defensive end and provide a much-needed pass rush uh, for this defense. 
lot of additions on the front seven, if you haven't noticed there, uh, for the, the not Minnesota Vikings, the Chicago Bears. I keep I keep confusing other NFC North teams uh, for the one I'm talking about right now. I, I'm sorry about that. Uh, they do lose tackle Riley Reef to New England Patriots, who is that really that much of a loss? Patriots are going to be starting to hit him at guard, so good luck on that. Uh, P.J. Walker comes over from the Carolina Panthers. Um Maybe not even the the maybe not even the backup right now. There's a guy that, out of Division Two that's really been playing well in the preseason. I'm sure we'll talk about that in just a second here. Uh, Travis Homer, uh, running back, buried on that depth chart behind and Kenneth Walker and all that they've had there. He comes over from the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Andrew Billings, defensive tackle, comes over from the Las Vegas Raiders. Robert Tunyon, the tight end from uh, Green Bay over the last couple of years, he comes over uh, to the Chicago Bears. Rasheem Green, defensive end, comes over from the Houston Texans. Mercedes Lewis comes over, tight end, uh, big dog over there with the Green Bay Packers, should help out in the run blocking. Uh, Deontay Foreman, maybe their starting running back this year, uh, comes in from Carolina, had a really, really good year with Carolina last year, especially down the stretch on that that big time win streak under coach uh, Steve Wilkes down the stretch there. Uh, I, I like that addition as well. Uh, Trevor Simeon uh, goes from Chicago to the Cincinnati Bengals. Al-Qadim Mohammed uh, goes from the uh, Chicago Bears to the Indianapolis Colts, and then Dante Pettis stays in town on a one-year deal. Those are your free agency acquisitions, so let's get into all of that coming together, draft and free agency, into the depth chart that I'm about to read off to you right now. First and foremost, you got quarterback Justin Fields uh, starting for you, no surprise there. Uh, P.J. Walker currently slated as the backup with the Peter Man, still in the league somehow. That, that John Gruden endorsement must go a long way in the in many circles. Uh, Peter Mann's still the third quarterback, so good for him, I suppose. Uh, running back, I uh, got Khalil Herbert, Deontay Foreman, Roshan Johnson. That is a really good one, two, three. I think Sneaky, one of the best backfields in the division. Uh, I don't know if, they, well, honestly, they might be the best backfield in the division just based on like a top-to-bottom sort of uh, thing with the Minnesota Vikings being far and away the worst. Maybe Green Bay Packers with the top two, because A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones are a formidable duo. But as far as a 1-2-3 goes, Khalil Herbert, Deontay Foreman, Roshan Johnson, right up there with just about anyone in the division uh, as far as overall quality is concerned. They're going to have a really deep backfield this year. Uh, at wide receiver, just talked about D.J. Moore coming over from the Carolina Panthers. Definitely the number one receiver, a guy they're going to be asking to do a lot right away, and I think he's going to step up to the challenge. Uh, Darnell Mooney is a second receiver. Maybe not a guy you want as your number one receiver, but as a second receiver, I really like Darnell Mooney. I think he's a very good player there for him. Uh, Chase Claypool inexplicably traded a first-round pick for Chase Claypool last year, which I think every every Pittsburgh Steelers fan was just laughing their ass off about. But he's coming back for a second year with the Chicago Bears. They're going to need him to step up big time at that third receiver if they want to have even a semblance of a good receiving core. Uh, Cole Komet's still your tight end there who had a bunch of big plays last year uh, with Justin Fields. That's a good connection they got right there with uh, Robert Tunyon, Mercedes Lewis being a deep tight end room as well. I think they're really, reading the tea leaves here, I think they're still going to run the piss out of the ball this season like they did uh, last season. Uh, Kari Blossom game, I think returning from last season at fullback and then looking at the offensive line, Braxton Jones, Tevin Jenkins, Cody Whitehair, uh, Nate Davis, Darnell Wright. Better than they were last year. Still probably a way to go. I don't know. I don't know what you can expect from 
either Tevin Jenkins, Tevin Jenkins, uh, Braxton Jones, Cody Whitehair. The right side is looking nice. I mean, Darnell Wright and Nate Davis, first round pick and uh, free agency acquisition, uh, respectively. Not bad at all. I, I really like that right side of the offensive line, left side and middle. Something to be desired there. And overall, I still kind of think best case scenario is like middle of the pack for this offense. I still could probably see them finishing in the bottom half of the league when it's all said and done. They're just, they got some good additions, but they're just not quite there as far as what you need to play offense in the 2023 NFL. Probably need a couple more wide receivers. Still need to shore up that offensive line. They're still a year or two away on the offensive side of the ball or the Chicago Bears, but improvement is really all you're looking for. Improvement on the outside, uh, improvement in the running game, improvement on the offensive line. This is another big development year for the Chicago Bears on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, defensively, you got Yannick Ngakwe at the uh, defensive end position, Andrew Billings, Justin Jones, Demarcus Walker are your front four. Okay, not awesome front four. Yannick Ngakwe is the headliner there, obviously. And then, of course, on the back end, Got uh, free agency acquisitions, uh, TJ Edwards, Tremaine Edmonds at linebacker, Tremaine Edmonds playing that uh, that middle linebacker position. Then you got Jack Sanborn, who I believe, I want to say he was there last year. His name sounds familiar, but I don't know. I might just be stupid as well. Uh, as far as the front seven goes, better than they were last year. Are they, are they really that good? Probably not, but... You can only really get better when you add T.J. Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds in there, as well as Yannick Ngakwe. I think they're heading in the right direction, if nothing else. And once again, uh, this 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 secondary is a disaster. I mean, uh, Jalen Johnson, uh, Tyreek Stevenson, Eddie Jackson's good. Jaquan, Jaquan Brisker has been okay, but those cornerbacks are probably the worst in the division. Uh, they were a problem for him last year. And Tyreek Stevenson going to have to step up big time, big time at that cornerback uh, rookie coming in there, starting right away. Eddie Jackson's going to have uh, his hands entirely full. And if I look at this right now, I still think maybe better than they were last year, but probably bottom half of the league when it's when it's all said and done uh, with this this uh, this defense overall. Which brings me to my my uh, my prediction for him. Uh, floor, I still think higher than what they finished last year. I think floor is probably five wins, four or five wins. I think they'll be more competitive than they were last year. Still probably a fun team to watch with Justin Fields at quarterback, but... If the offensive line just kind of collapses, if the receivers behind DJ Moore don't step up, excuse me, if the the offensive line keeps the running game from playing well, which it's hard to hard to fathom with Justin Fields as your quarterback, I think no matter what, the running game is probably the, the one thing on this team that you can kind of count on no matter what. I do think that the front seven is better than it was last year. The the secondary is every bit as terrible as it was last year, though. And I think with that secondary, the ceiling is only so high, but the floor is, is low, low, low. I think think they're still going to be in line for a top 10 pick uh, this coming year at the very, very worst. And at the very best, I still think if, if they even sniff 500, that, that's going to be a, a resounding success. I think their ceiling is probably like 7 and 10, 8 and 9. I don't... I don't think they're going to be competing for a playoff spot this year. Improvement is all you're looking for as a Chicago Bears fan. I think, I personally, I love seeing the Chicago Bears get their hopes up. 
oh so high. I want to see them. I want to see these Chicago Bears fans thinking they're going to win a Super Bowl in the preseason because I know, I know when it gets into the season, the reality is going to hit them hard and it's going to hit them fast. And I cannot wait to see it. But for the time being, I will I will let them hype themselves up until reality eventually comes knocking at the door and says, hey, by the way, you're still not a playoff team, no matter what your expectations are. You're still probably not a playoff team when it's all said and done. Um, that's the ceiling for them. When it's all said and done, my prediction, probably 6-10, and 10, maybe even 7-10. and 10. I think they, they, they're going to be better than they were last year. They're just simply not going to be a playoff team based on the personnel they've got. They're still a year or two away. I think Ryan Pulse is doing a very good job out there. Outside of the Clay, Chase Claypool trade, which still don't know why they made that one and paid such a high price to get Chase Claypool, but um, maybe he steps up in a big way this season and helps them uh, get get over the hump, but... Outside of that Chase Claypool trade, I think he did. He's done very, very well with this team. Uh, I think they're headed in the right direction. Still not a playoff team, though. And as far as my prediction to win this division, I I don't know. I simply don't know. And I, since I don't know, I'm just going with the homer pick. I'm going with the Vikings. I think they're going to have the best offense in the division this year. I think the defense is going to be better than it was. I think the offense is going to be the differentiator because I think it's going to be the only mildly above average unit in the entire in, in the entire division come to think about. I think it's the only only unit either side of the ball for anyone in this division that's going to be pushing top 10. I think the Vikings if they can figure out that run game, no question in my mind they have the potential to be an uh, top 10 offensive unit when it's all said and done and at the, if they're just middle of the pack on defense, I think it's going to be good enough to win this division. Call me a homer, but I still think the Vikings are the best team in the NFC North and with that Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, we are done. We, we're, we're done with this episode. We're done with the division previews. And we are on the doorstep of football season. We've got week zero coming this, this, this uh, week zero for college football, rather, coming this weekend. Bunch of games that I don't care about, but it means we are on the doorstep of week one for college football the weekend after that. And then that following week, we have got opening night on Thursday night visiting the Jesus Christ visiting the the Kansas City Chiefs are the Detroit Lions a barn burner of an opening night game a game that's going to have no shortage of points when it's all said and done I cannot wait for it to happen it's about happening right now we are almost next week we're still going to have one one episode basically exclusively focusing on the uh, on the college football season probably going to do a bit of a college football preview next week but right now we are at football season and the week after we are back to two episodes a week football season is here i'm so excited i have to piss so bad though so with that said thank you so much for tuning in to unqualified analysis uh if you want to follow me on all my social medias it is Caleb Verzak at Caleb Verzak on X, Twitter, whatever the hell you want to call it. Elon Musk is a sack of shit, and it's, you know, if, if anyone comes up with a, a quality alternative, I am all ears, but right now, uh, that's that just the way the cookie crumbles. It's the only it's the only social media app that I actually care about at this point, so, yeah, go follow me on X right now, at Caleb Verzak. Um, episodes coming back to you twice a week, Tuesday and Thursday during the football season. We are, it is upon us, ladies and gentlemen, got one more, uh, one, one, uh, episode week next week. Then we are right back into NFL on Tuesdays, college football on Thursdays. And, uh, it's boys, boys, it's, it's back. We're back.
We're back. We made it. We made it through the offseason. Just a few short days left, and we're going to be right there. Um, if you want to contact the show, though, um, probably just DM me on Twitter. I'll be more responsive that way. But if you want to go the old traditional email route uh, for business inquiries and whatnot, just go to unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. I'll get to you when I get to you. Just put... But why you're, you're calling me in the uh, subject line? Calling me, emailing me, I don't care. We're like damn near two hours into this podcast. we got to get it done now at this point. Uh, but, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. As always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about. Um, and I'll tell you right now, oh, I do actually have a fun fact for you this week. One thing I did learn this week um, Project Orion. Have you ever heard of Project Orion? Right after the Manhattan Project, uh, a handful of scientists that were on the Manhattan Project tried to use nuclear explosions to launch ships into space. That was an actual um, actual idea that was put in at the dawn of the space race. Um, that was before they knew about the whole nuclear fallout thing, and it wasn't wouldn't just be like a couple explosions they nuclear explosions they used to get into space. It would be like dozens essentially, where you're just successively dropping nukes behind you and then just propelling that into space using that percussive force. Would have irradiated the whole planet, but technically, concept wise, would have actually worked. Would have, we could have actually had if there wasn't all of this fallout, could have actually had. Excuse me. Um, projectiles being launched into space via nuclear explosions. And there you go. There's your fun fact of the day. I am going to edit and try and get this out by the end of the day. I apologize for the delay on this, but family in town, I'm not I'm not recording when we got stuff to do uh, on one of my only off days uh, while they're in town. Either way, I will see you all later. Deuces.